Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, open it with me once again to the book of Joshua. And this morning we're going back to chapter 14. We'll start in a moment there in verse 6 through the end of the chapter. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. Ten years ago, there's a man you may have heard of by the name of Kyle Maynard, and he caught the world's attention by climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. If you don't know, this is the highest peak in Africa, and you might be thinking, well, haven't many people climbed that mountain? Yes. But what made Kyle Maynard's climb so memorable, what made his accomplishment so special, is the fact that he was born with a condition called congenital amputation, meaning Kyle Maynard was born without arms and without legs. And yet in 2012, he crawled and he climbed all the way to the top of that mountain, all 19,340 feet to the summit. Many times he felt like quitting, but every time he made the decision to keep going. There is a special kind of courage that it takes to keep going when every part of you wants to quit. Maybe you've been there. Maybe some of you are honestly there right now. Maybe you have to decide to keep going in that marriage. You have to decide to keep going in your studies, keep going in school. Maybe for some of you, this means you keep going in that job or that ministry and maybe it means you keep going in the faith in spite of persecution, in spite of hardships, or even in spite of doubts. This takes courage. This morning, I want to talk to you about someone else who kept going. His name is Caleb. And in the passage we're going to read, Caleb was 85 years old at the time. Caleb could have retired. He could have said, you know what? I'm an old man. I've done my part. I've done enough. But Caleb made up his mind that he would keep going and he would not stop doing what God had called him to do until God called him home. Now, we know that climbing a mountain without arms and without legs is pretty impressive. But what Caleb does in this scripture we're going to look at this morning was even more impressive because Caleb did not climb a mountain. He actually conquered a mountain. And as we will see, not just any mountain, but a mountain full of giants. In this passage, Caleb is having a conversation with Joshua. Now, if you remember from our previous study, there were two men over the age of 20 who left Egypt who were able to enter the promised land. Those two men were Joshua and Caleb. All of the other men over 20 wound up dying during those 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. And so 
Caleb comes to Joshua to speak to him, he talks about three things. He starts off talking about the past, what had already been done. Then he moves to the present, and he starts to make an honest assessment of his life at that moment. And finally, he looks to the future and talks about what he believes God is calling him to do. So based on that, I want to share with you three things. I want to encourage you to do three things in order to have the courage to keep going. First of all, remember where you have been. Remember where you have been. Look with me in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. Let me pause right there. In the first part of this chapter, the promised land is divided amongst the 12 tribes. And the Bible says that they did it by casting lots. There was, however, one exception to that. And that was the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah was given a very special place, a very prominent place in the land. Now, that was for several reasons. First of all, it was through the tribe of Judah that the Messiah would eventually come. That had already been prophesied back in Genesis chapter 49. But not only that, the tribe of Judah was led at that time by Caleb. And Caleb is referred to as a Kenizzite, which means he wasn't even born an Israelite. He wasn't an Israelite by birth. He was an Israelite by faith because he really believed in the God of Israel and he really believed in the promise of God. But years before, God made a special promise to Caleb. Look again in verse 6. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb goes to Joshua and he reminds them of a story from long ago, something that they both experienced together 45 years earlier. I'm not going to turn there, but the story is found in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. After God brought Israel out of the promised land, he led them, or after God brought them out of Egypt, he led them to the outskirts of the promised land. And then there came that time where it was time for them to go in and take it. They sent 12 spies into the land to go check it out and bring back a report. When the spies came back, they told Israel, hey, that land really is everything God said that it would be. It really is a land flowing with milk and honey. But the inhabitants of the land 
are very strong, and the cities are very large, and they're well fortified. But worst of all, the sons of Anak are there. The Anakim are there. You know what they were? They were the giants. The Israelites were like Danny DeVito. And the Anakim, they were like Shaquille O'Neal. At least that's what it seemed like. That's what it felt like to them. And when they came and they brought back this report, the Bible says that it melted the hearts of the people. But there was one man, Caleb, who stood up first and he began to address the people and he began to encourage them and plead with them to believe God and trust God. And he said, let's go now because by God's help, we can overcome it. But at the end of the day, only those two men, Caleb and Joshua, believed the Lord and urged the people to believe the Lord. Ten men said, those giants are just too big for us. But Caleb and Joshua said, our God is too big for those giants. Unfortunately, the people went with the majority. They listened to the ten. And by the way, I'm curious. Is there anybody here today who actually remembers the names of those ten other spies? Anybody? Why not? They're listed in Scripture. Because nobody remembers the names of the men who said it could not be done. That's why. Now, Caleb, on the other hand, he could look back on his life and honestly say in verse 8, I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, that's a really interesting phrase because did you know that statement? To wholly follow the Lord. That appears six times in the Old Testament to describe Caleb but it never appears, not one other time in the Bible, to describe anyone else. This is a phrase that is only used, and it is uniquely used to describe him. Caleb could look back on his life and honestly say, hey, I wasn't perfect. I didn't always get it right, but I can say I wholly follow the Lord. You know, it's really a, a nautical term. It's a term that was used of a ship that was going to move forward no matter what obstacles were in its way. That's how Caleb lived his life. Well, look at verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly Followed the Lord my God. Because Caleb had faith, and because he urged the people to also have faith, God told Moses to tell Caleb that one day that part of the promised land where his foot had trodden would belong to him and it would belong to his descendants. Now, as we're going to see in a moment as we read further, this refers not to the promised land in general, but this promise that God made refers to a very specific part of the promised land. But I want you to notice what Caleb does. Five times in this speech that he gives to Joshua, Caleb goes back 
to the promise of God. Verse 6, he says, the Lord spoke. Verse 9, Moses swore. Verse 10, the Lord spoke this word to Moses. Verse 12, the mountain of which the Lord spoke. Verse 12, as the Lord said. Do you see what he's doing? He looks back in his life. He remembers where he has been, and he remembers that moment when he had faith, and based upon that faith, in that moment, God promised him an inheritance. And all of these years, that promise that God gave him has been burning, burning, burning in his heart. He's clinging to, he's holding on to the promise of God. He keeps going back to it. He keeps reciting it. Well, I understand that we're not Caleb, but as followers of Christ, we can look back. We can remember where we were, how we were sinners, and we were separated from God, and we were without hope, and we were dead in our trespasses But then one glorious day, by faith, we were saved. And God promised us some things in that moment. He promised to finish what he started in us. He promised never to leave us or forsake us. He promised us a a, a place that he's preparing. He promised an inheritance that will not perish or fade. And when we look back and when we remember where we've been and what God promised to do in our lives, it just gives us that courage to keep going on, no matter what obstacles are in the way. Something else I want to encourage you to do based on this passage, not only remember where you have been, but remember who you are. Notice verse 10. And behold, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. Notice, he said, the Lord kept me alive, as he said. When God promised that Joshua and Caleb would one day enter the promised land, that means they knew that all that time that Israel had to wander in the uh, desert, they would not die, they would live, they had to live, because God had promised that inheritance to them. And now he can say, I am this day 85 years old. It sounds to me like this was Caleb's birthday He says, I'm 85, but he's still excited about the Word of God, and he's still excited about what God said he was going to do. And look at verse 11. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Boy, I got to admit, I feel a little bit of conviction when I read verse 11. How about you? I mean, Caleb was as strong at age 85 as he was when he was 40. I turned 48 this past week, and I don't feel as strong at age 48 as I did when I was 40. Now, let me remind you here that Psalm 90 verse 10 
had already been written at this point because Moses wrote that one. That's the verse that says a man will live 70 years or perhaps by strength, 80 years. Oh, Caleb knew that scripture. He was very familiar with it. And he understood very well. He had already lived longer than a man would normally live. And yet even at the age of 85, he can say, I'm as strong now as I was then. Now, the million-dollar question, the question that everybody asks, now, is he talking about just his physical strength? Well, maybe. Maybe Caleb had what we call old man strength. You know what that is? You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that? Old man strength. I don't know for sure if this means that Caleb could bench press more at age 85 than he could when he was 40, but maybe this refers to the entire person. This is what I tend to believe when I read this. Maybe this refers to the entire person. Maybe Caleb is saying, I can do more because I have grown more and now I know more and most importantly, I trust God more now than I ever have before. Maybe his faith is just so strong, he believes by faith that he can take that mountain and defeat his enemies with a walking cane if that's what he has to do. Now, I understand that not everybody's going to be like Caleb. Not everybody's going to be called to march up and take a mountain at the age of 85. But everybody can have Caleb's attitude. We can all have Caleb's faith. Everybody can say, I'm just as excited about serving God now as I've ever been. In fact, let me tell you something. Do you know who the oldest person is that you will ever meet? The oldest person you will ever meet is the person who has outlived their enthusiasm. The oldest person you'll ever meet is the person who has outlived their zeal for the Lord. That's the oldest person. We need to appreciate those who've gone before us and what they possess. Our culture is obsessed with youth and maintaining that youthful appearance. Other cultures place more value on age and wisdom and experience. Can I tell you, I think that this is one of those areas where our culture gets it completely wrong. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, that the outer man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. There is a strength, an outward strength that fades over time, but there is another kind of strength that actually grows with time. Some of you have known the Lord for many years. If you've known the Lord and walked with the Lord for decades, I sure hope you can look back and say, I'm a lot stronger now than I was then. We need to learn to value that strength and that experience that comes with age. This is why I say every single church 
needs two things. Every single church needs baby strollers and walkers. Because if we don't have folks pushing baby strollers, you know what? We're going to be in trouble because we don't have future. But you better listen to this next part. If we don't have some members pushing walkers, we're going to be in a different kind of trouble. Because we desperately need the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience and the counsel that they offer to us. Part of the secret to Caleb's strength was that he looked in the mirror, he understood, and he believed who he was in Yahweh, and he believed that he could do whatever God was calling him to do. And likewise, if you will say this morning, if you will say to God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, I'll go wherever you want me to go, here's what will happen. God will give you whatever strength you need that is equal to the task. He'll give you whatever strength you need that is equal to the task. On the other hand, if you say, God, I'm done. Or God, I don't know if I'm all in. Or God, you're just asking for too much. You know what may happen? You may wind up losing what strength you already have. But just like Caleb, when God makes a promise, he gives you the strength to claim it. Caleb never forgot who he was or what God had called him to do. That's why he was so courageous. Well, there's one more thing that I want you to see in our passage this morning that we learn from Caleb. Remember where you are going. Not only where you have been and who you are, but remember where you are going. Before I continue reading in the scripture, let me just point something out. Uh, Caleb said that he was 40 years old when God promised him that one day he would go into the promised land. He also says in Joshua 14 that he's now 85 years old. So if you do the math, that means he has been waiting on the Lord for 40 five years. You ever waited on the Lord for anything that long? We lose patience and we want to throw up our hands and throw in the towel and we wonder where is God? What is he doing if we got to wait 45 minutes? But Caleb's been waiting 45 years. And when God made that promise to Caleb, they were already two years into the 40 years of wandering. So that means he had to wait 38 more years. If you look at all the verses and if you do all of the math, that means that seven of those 45 years that Caleb has been waiting on the Lord, seven of those years were after they entered the promised land. I want you to think about that. We read the book of Joshua. It seems like everything's happening so, so quickly. But no, when you come to chapter 14, it's been seven years. Seven years since they crossed the Jordan River. Seven years since the fall of Jericho. And even though Israel has taken most of the promised land, we find out that there were still those pockets of resistance. There were those sections, those cities, a place here, a place there. 
where the enemy was still present. The Canaanites were still entrenched. These were the toughest assignments, the most fortified cities. Unfortunately, Israel did not drive them all out like God told them to. But one of those remaining pockets of resistance was a place called Hebron. And it turns out that Mount Hebron is the place that Caleb is talking about in Joshua chapter 14. Look at verse 12. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Wait a second. Who's on that mountain? The Anakim. Who was it that they were so afraid of back in Numbers 13 and 14? The Anakim. Who were they referring to when they said, oh, we can't defeat those guys. We're like grasshoppers and they are like giants compared to us. Who were they talking about? The Anakim. And now, who is Caleb asking for permission to attack at 85 years of age. The Anakim. Think about what Caleb could have said. He could have said to Joshua, hey, you know how faithful I've been. You know how I have served the Lord all of these years. But I'm an old man now. So give me that comfortable valley with the beautiful mountain view in the background with the large cabin and the big front porch where I can sit in that rocking chair and sip sweet tea all day and maybe I'll play golf maybe I'll go fishing. Maybe I'll do crossword puzzles until I die. But you know, Joshua, I've decided it's me time. I'm going to rest and enjoy life. You know what that is? That is the American concept of retirement. In fact, you probably know hardly anyone that would even question that. We assume that this is true. We assume that this is how it's supposed to be. You get to a certain age, maybe 65, then you wash your hands, you're done, you'll sit back and relax and sail until God calls you home. Let me ask a question. Where do you find this in the Word of God? Nowhere. Nowhere. And yet, so many people assume this to be true. There's this tendency as we get older to turn inward and focus on ourselves. There's this tendency as we get older to prioritize comfort over our mission, 
over reaching people for Christ. And this can happen to us individually, and many times this happens in our churches as well. But not Caleb. Not Caleb. He's not looking for comfort. He's looking for a fight. And I want you to notice those four words at the beginning of verse 12. You probably won't find four more courageous words that were spoken by anybody in all of the word of God. Caleb said, give me that mountain. Give me that mountain. Does this sound like a man who wants to sit back and relax? Or does this sound like a man who is ready to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol? Give me that mountain, that mountain that no one else will take, that everybody else is so afraid of. Give me that mountain. What an amazing request. It's one thing to accept the challenge. It's another thing to ask for a challenge. Caleb is like that college student who takes the hardest course and then chooses the hardest professor and then dares to ask him to give the hardest exam. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you took any risk at all for the sake of the gospel? When was the last time you did anything that made you nervous, but you did it anyway because you knew it's what God was calling you to do? I, I love the way Caleb said it at the end of verse 12. Did you notice this? He said, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I'll be able to drive them out. Now, he knows that he's going to eventually have the victory and that his descendants will possess the mountain. God promised him that. But it almost sounds to me like, well, he's not 100% sure if he's not going to die during the battle. As far as he knows, he might die in battle, but he is willing to die trying. And look at what happens in verse 13. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. You understand what that last phrase means, right? We're not given the details. We're not told the story of how the battle transpired. But when it says the land had rest from war, that means Caleb took the mountain. And if I can use my sanctified imagination for just a moment, I can imagine Caleb saying to the other soldiers, hey guys, I'm going up Mount Hebron. I'm going up Kirjath Arba. Who is going with me? And I can imagine those young soldiers, those whippersnappers, the guys with muscles and their earlobes. I can imagine those guys who prior were so afraid 
of the Anakim. They were so afraid of what waited for them on that mountain. But here, all these young soldiers, and they look around at each other, and they think, man, if we let that old guy take that mountain by himself, we will never hear the end of it. And they went back and forth. But then eventually they come to, to Caleb and they said, Caleb, all right, if you're going, we'll go with you. And his courage was contagious. And they took that mountain. I remember a woman in Cuba years ago when we were working around El Cotorro, Cuba. There was one particular neighborhood that was not in a good area, and no one wanted to go there. No one would work there or try to plant a church there. None of the churches around town would even think about entering there. But we had a certain missionary we supported here. Her name was Juana, affectionately known as Juana La Cubana. And Juana, seeing this, she said, give me that mountain. You know what Juana did? She went to that one place where no one else was willing to go. And she began knocking on doors. And she asked initially, hey, how can I pray for you? They thought, who is this crazy woman who comes to our home and wants to pray for us? But they began to open up and they shared with her. And then she ministered to them and helped the church to minister to the people in that community. Eventually, the gospel was shared. And a house church an illegal house church was planted. I had the opportunity to go back and preach at that house church, and I will always remember that time being in a small bedroom that was barely big enough for a queen-sized mattress. Now imagine a room that small and 22 people crammed shoulder to shoulder all around the walls inside of that room, sitting all over the bed, me shoved into the corner preaching the gospel to these men and women who secretly gathered because they desperately wanted to hear the gospel. And I think of that, that image. That was her mountain. That was Juana's mountain. And so before I close, I just want to ask you, some questions. First Baptist Church of Homestead. And you don't have to answer this out loud, but I hope you'll think about these questions. I hope you will ponder them throughout the week. What mountain is God calling you to take? And I wonder, who among us, who at First Baptist Church of Homestead will say, like Caleb, give me that mountain. Give me that assignment no one else will take. Give me that ministry where no one else will serve. Give me that class that no one else will teach. Send me on that mission trip, pastor, where no one else is willing to go, but give me that mountain. This ought to be our prayer. When we look at the concentration of lostness around us, it should motivate us to say, give me that mountain. When we look at schools and thousands and thousands of teenagers who do not know Christ, we should look at that and say, God, give me that mountain. We look at God bringing the nations 
to our community, we should look at this and say, God, give me that mountain. Who's going to make that their prayer today? 2,000 years ago, there was another mountain that no one else would climb. No one else could climb. But Jesus said to his father, give me that mountain. You see, Caleb went up Mount Hebron, but Jesus went up Mount Calvary. Caleb fought against his giants, the Anakim. Jesus fought against even greater giants, the devil, his demons, this world, sin, and death. Caleb defeated his enemies by the sword. Jesus defeated our enemies not by taking lives, but by laying down his life when he died on the cross for you and for me and when he rose again from the grave. Caleb left his descendants an earthly inheritance. Jesus offers us a home in heaven and it is because Jesus took that mountain, because he did all of this, that we can have the courage to follow him as Savior and Lord and we can have the courage to follow him wherever he leads us today. Would you join me as we take a moment and as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story and for the example of Caleb. We thank you that at the age of 85, he was still excited about your word, still standing on your promises still ready and willing to serve you and follow you wherever that might lead, whatever it might cost. God, how I pray that that would be our attitude today, that his prayer would be our prayer, that we would be willing to say, give me that mountain. Whatever that mountain is, whatever it is, you have called us to do individually and as a church whatever the mission, whatever the task, oh, that that would be our prayer. Give me that mountain. Father, I pray for those who perhaps are, are here today and they need the courage to take that initial step of faith following Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We thank you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus took another mountain, Mount Calvary, and that he carried his cross until physically he didn't have the strength to carry it anymore. And on that cross he was nailed. And there he suffered and there he died. But he rose again on the third day. And God, because of that, he is Lord and we can follow him. And I pray, God, for that man or that woman or that boy or girl who this morning needs to take that step of faith and say, I will follow Christ as Savior and Lord of my life today, if there's one person in this room or watching right now online who needs to take that step, oh, how I pray, they would not wait or delay, but this would be their day that they call upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law, but I believe you died for me on that cross, and I believe you rose again. And therefore, I confess you as Lord of my life. 
how I pray this would be that day and that moment of salvation for them. Lord, would you help all of us to take all that we've seen and all that we've read and all that we've learned and all that we've been reminded of. God, help us to take all of that, not just be hearers, but be doers, and apply that to our lives. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.